Well, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Mitch Steven. Mitch is a self-taught real estate entrepreneur and the author of the book, My Life and a Thousand Houses, Failing Forward to Financial Freedom. Uh, a high school graduate who never stopped learning. Uh, we're going to talk about that. He wrote, obviously read books, CDs, seminars, did the, all of these and YouTube, I guess, also became his classroom. And it's, that's why he was self-taught. Uh, Mitch has been self-employed since 1996, lives in San Antonio, Texas, his hometown. And as you will see, Mitch is passionate speaker uh, who mess, whose message of integrity first, profit second, uh, is, uh, is very, uh, you know, it's a good, very good message uh, in this day and age. He's an expert at keeping it simple and explaining in plain English, kind of like uh, what uh, the theories and all of this that he used to become financially free and financially independent. So if you wish you had a rich dad like Robert Kiyosaki, then Mitch might be your guy. So just stay tuned. Mitch, welcome to the show. How you doing, Eric? I didn't have a rich dad. I came from <laughs> middle class in America. And while we didn't have trouble talking about money at the table, we just didn't have any. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, my in my childhood, the uh, talk about money uh, was uh, often very loud. And it was about uh, talking about the lack of money. Uh, and I knew pretty early on that that's not the kind of conversation I wanted to have. So, so Mitch, tell us about your path to financial freedom and get started with that. And then kind of like, what are some of the greatest challenges that you faced at the beginning to help our listener understand that, you know, it's not easy, but it's, these challenges are not insurmountable. Well, uh, looking back, a lot of the things that I thought uh, that I wasn't proud of or, or wish weren't so ended up being the greatest catalyst for getting me to where I'm at. For example, um, I didn't go to college. Uh, my friends all went to college and I was starting to think, I'm a late bloomer. Um, I really didn't find where I was supposed to be in this, in which is real estate investing. I didn't find it till I was 34. So between graduation eight, age 18 to 34, I tried all kinds of entrepreneurial things. So I, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, uh, mm -hmm. born with it apparently because I've always had my job and then the entrepreneurial business of the day that I was trying to get off the ground with no money. Um, the other thing that I was, so I didn't go to college. I didn't have that extended four years of brainwashing to be a worker bee. Um, I got to fail at a lot of things during the four or five years that most people were in college. And I got to figure out who I was kind of in the forest by myself. Um, the other thing I had going for me is I didn't make a lot of money. So it wasn't too hard to replace my income. I could get financially free pretty fast. All I needed at the time was 3,500 bucks a month with my complete entire overhead. So if you're out there and you don't have a college degree and, you, and you're not making a lot of money, they could be your best assets. Because if I'd have had a college degree, I might've got handcuffed with those velvet handcuffs with the $100,000 job and the insurance and the car and the phone. And then I might not have ever gone on to be a millionaire because I was comfortable in these, in these trappings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, but for any little change in my formula, the recipe might taste quite different. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Um, 
I stumbled into real estate by accident. I bought a, a condo to live in. It was seller financed. So because I couldn't qualify for a loan because I bartended and all my money was cash. Uh, it was a one bedroom efficiency. There was a two bedroom with a fireplace down the street that someone wanted to fire sell me. So I figured out if I bought the two bedroom and I, and I, and I rented out the second bedroom and I rented out my efficiency, I could actually live for free and own two condos. Yeah. Now, house hacking as they call it today. What do they call it? House hacking. House hacking. Yeah. So, um, I didn't even know there wasn't that word. And I was just yep. coming up with this myself, like I was inventing the idea, but little did I know that there has been people doing this forever and ever. Mm -hmm. No one ever talked to me about any of this. And mm -hmm. so then one day it came time to, you know, there was a hot market and I sold and I made more money in, in like a 30 day period when I sold those two places than I had made for the whole year. And not only did I make more than I made, it was all in the bank. You know, it was there, sitting there. It was the first time I'd ever seen that much money in my life. It, at the time, it was around forty-five thousand dollars profit. You know, uh, in nineteen eighty-one. Um, you know, eighty-one, eighty-two. And so, the light bulb went off, and I thought, "How do I repeat that or duplicate that?" And then I started getting into the books, and I started finding some stuff. And you know, there wasn't an internet back then like there was now. I mean. Yeah. You had to go to the library and find these things it was much more difficult uh, but and then i started meeting people um then i i decided i had enough money to last me a year and if i kept spending it the same way i was spending it now i had over a year i had to pay some bills but i had over a year i mean i had it right at a year that i could go without a job i did i decided to take having a job off the table and see what i could do in a year uh, and my first year I did 45 houses. My second year I did 65 houses. My third year I did 150 houses. That was a little much for me. I backed up and I have bought a house about every four to five days for over two and a half decades, about wow. hundred pieces a year for, 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 for over 20 years. So wow. um, that's my, that's my story. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that on how do you ramp up to that that kind of level in a, in a moment. But so what? So why? So I think one aspect of it, I think, is uh, there's two challenges. I think at the beginning, uh, when you're if you're millennials and stuff like that, I mean, you don't really see the importance of financial freedom. And uh, but this is a great time to get started because, as you mentioned, your your income at that age is easy to uh, to replace. Uh, you're already used to be pretty frugal about uh, most things. So, you know, so that that works out pretty well. But you're not interested at that time. You get interested later on when you have all the bills, the mortgage, the kids in college. The That's when you get interested. But that's when you, you know, this is the most challenging. You have the big, you have the big salary, the big income coming in. But you also have big bills going out. And then you're kind of strapped. So, so... So why is why do you think why why is financial independence so important and why should people pay attention to that and start working on it today in your opinion? Well, to me, the the first goal is always to replace. Well, there's two ways to look at it. One is what is your freedom number? Your freedom number is when you add up all your mandatory bills, but nothing more, nothing less. Just what does it cost if you if you slept in bed all month 
What are you going to have to come up with to pay the bills, the car, the insurance, the whatever, the air conditioning, the water, the cable TV, whatever you deem is necessary. And then that's called the freedom number. Because when you hit that number, you no longer have to have a job to merely survive, you know? Um, or you could look at replacing your income. The problem is, is most people's standard of living has gone all the way up to their income, which is the problem. The number one rule in life is you got to have more coming in than you got going out from the day you graduate high school, you know, or even before really, but, you know, pick that day. And, and the reason why it's so important to become financially free is I figured if being wealthy was in the cards for little old Mitch Steven, it would happen after I didn't have to have a J-O-B. And here's why. So the first job was to replace whatever I was making at my job to survive and pay my bills because I was barely surviving uh, with my job. My first, my first goal was to replace that. One is it's, it, it's great because typically that's not such a big number for a lot of people. It's a, it's, it's a small goal to think in the United States of America that I need to make $3,500 a month and come to my mailbox regularly. That's not a big goal. It's a matter of fact, it's a pretty tiny goal. Although when I made the commitment to do it, it seemed like almost damn near impossible until I started getting involved with just that little goal in mind and starting to figure out, hey, I just made a deal that brings in 400. I just made a deal that brings in 300. I just made a deal that brings in 250. And I was gaining on it. And, and, and within six or seven months of just focusing on that, I got rid of my job. This is now beyond that. That's why I thought I could probably maybe if wealth was in the cards for me, it would happen after that. Because you know what it did? It freed up 2,600 hours a year that I got to focus on me, my passion, getting my 10,000 hours in. And if you look at the 10,000 hour rule, which is basically if you practice something 10,000 hours in a row, if you have any ability in that direction at all, you're probably one of the best in the world. Okay. Now that doesn't mean if you're, if you can't sing and you try to, and you practice singing 10,000 hours, that ain't going to work. So there has to be some kind of natural passion or talent or some kind of connection born inside you for it. But once you find it, you spend the 10,000 hours. Well, at 2,600 hours a year, you're looking at a little over four and a half, around four and a half years, you got your 10,000 hours in one guy explained it like this. If you took all the books about the civil war and I'm just picking a random topic and you, and you piled them all up behind your house. And then every morning you woke up, you got on the roof, the roof, and you dove into this pile of books. You grabbed one open to any pages and started reading. If you would read a half hour a day, by the end of a year, you would, if you had any retention at all, you would be a world's authority on the civil war. <laughs> to put it into context, a half yeah. hour a day, you know, just on one topic. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, real estate investing and do running a business can be a little bit bigger, more complicated than the history of that war. You know what I mean? But yeah. not that that war wasn't complicated, but the history of it. Yeah. And so um, that's, what's important is because, and that's why, you know, um, Dale Ramsey, their goal is to uh, become debt-free and they, they do the primal screen. Well, at my office is, uh, we ring the bell when people become financially independent. Mm -hmm. That's what turns me on. I don't know why. Dave Ramsey likes to get people you know, out of debt. I look at debt a little bit different. I look at, you know, we celebrate something a little bit different. Yeah. And the reason why we celebrate it is 
once you don't have to have a job it's time for you to become who you're supposed to be in this world and that doesn't mean you have to be rich maybe you don't want to be rich maybe that's not what your calling is but you get to be a hundred percent or 110 percent of what you want to be what you're supposed to be what you were born to be mm-hmm. and you also have the chance to go through and figure out that you might have been mistaken on a couple of things and that you ended up over here. Like I didn't have any idea that I was supposed to do this. It took me mm-hmm. a long time to figure it out. Yeah, this is very different than, you know, some of these uh, get rich scheme that we hear on TV. Ah, you can, you know, you can have a Ferrari, you can have this, you know, I'm not interested in a Ferrari. I'm interested in having, being able to, not having to work every day and being able to take six months off and go and travel the world and, and do whatever you know and um so that i think that's what's important it's living your life fully my, and, my life uh, has always been about it was never about how much money i had in the bank because i never allowed any money to stay in the bank because i looked at money in the bank as this money is waiting for an excuse to disappear mm-hmm. if i can throw it into a storage facility or a rental house and i can tie it up i'll be forced to deal with these emergencies some other way and i will do it because you would do it. If you don't yep. have a choice, you always do it, you know? Yeah. So, so I like to keep my money tied up. My, my life had always been about cash flow. How much is coming in every month? How do I increase how much is coming in every month? I knew if I got my cash flow up, uh, up and up and up and up, that money in the bank would be no, no problem. Because whenever I wanted to stop buying assets, it would start to stack up very fast. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and my yep. bank always got on me. They're like, man, can't you leave 500,000 or a million dollars in the bank? I said, you know how much a million dollars can make a month? Yeah. Why the hell would I leave it in your bank? Oh, I know why. Cause you want to make the money off of my money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know, yep. they always begged me to leave, you know, a million dollars <laughs> in the bank for years. And I like, that makes no sense to me. A million dollars in your bank. I could put a million dollars in your bank at some point, but I'd be stifled, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it just, it would make me throw up, you know, because I'm used to making 25, 30, 35% on my money. Mm-hmm. On a million, yeah. that's $350,000 a year. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. like, I'm going to leave it in your bank and miss out on that? Bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, the other thing too is, so, uh, and sometimes the bank account, at least you can see the cash and you say, well, I, I need to do something with it. But sometimes the it's it's hidden. It's kind of like it's in equity or it's in self-directed IRA and stuff like that. And it's just like it's stuck in weird places. And that used to drive me nuts because I would come home, I work my ass off, and then I'd come home and I would watch my house, my equity. I had a lot of equity built into it, and I couldn't extract it. I extracted the maximum of it. But it was like it would drive me nuts. It's like I have all this equity like sitting i imagine the equity like sitting on the couch watching tv while i was just like working my ass <laughs> and it was just like ah this has to change i have to have that that equity that cash work for me every single moment and this is this is the difference this is the different uh, so, point of view a lot of people are about accumulation and this is not about accumulation it's about cash flow yes and the other thing is it's when you make some good money you have you have to be careful because what most people make a lot of money they go buy a boat which yeah. not only does the boat cost money but then it costs money to store the boat to to, 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 to do the maintenance on the boat to run the yeah. boat you know it's like the boat isn't just the monthly payment or the mm-hmm. cash outlay it, 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 that expense goes on and on i learned very quickly that you don't own toys the toys own you 
Mm-hmm. And if you don't think that's right, then go pick up your jet skis and then their battery's dead because you haven't run them for six <laughs> exactly. months. And find out who's working for who. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd be working yeah, for your yeah. So I have a know, friend that he has a house on the lake and that's exactly it. He has like two boats, three jet skis and all of that. And what does he do all day? He fixes boats, jet skis. <laughs> so, you know, the philosophy is if it flies, floats or faces the water, rent it for the weekend, rent yeah. it for the week, rent yeah, it for the month. Yeah. And when you're done, the, stop the expense. Now you'll pay a little bit of a premium for that, maybe, but it's way cheaper than owning a boat for the whole year. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah no i totally you know, you, totally agree if you go out on a boat every day i get it if you're yeah. a boat person and that's your thing then i get it but you know a person can really only have like one thing that he mm-hmm. really likes to do a lot and then sometimes those change you know mm-hmm. i'm tired of that now i'm gonna go do this well yeah okay good i get it so i i started out very out of the box and this is what i like to talk to like the new people out there we're limited by this. Our limiting beliefs is what hold us back. Uh, mm-hmm. I break through limiting beliefs every year. There's always another level to go to. And I always have myself capped in my mind. And then when it's so obvious that, look, the next step is there. Uh, but you can't do that because, okay, let's get with the people that did it. Let's let them tell you how they did it or, or how you might do it. And like, let's get past the limiting belief. I was broke. Everyone I know that started in this business started broke. So if you're going to wait till you have money, or if you think it takes money to make money, then you're screwed yourself right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You have mind screwed yourself because you don't need money. What you need to do when you don't have money is you become a professional deal maker, contract writer, upper. Is that mm-hmm. a word? Yep. <laughs> right. So do you need any money? I mean, how much money does it take to go write a contract on a $400,000 house, find a distressed property and write a contract on it for 200,000. Now I understand you don't have the 200,000 to buy it, even though it's worth 400, but someone out there does and they want, they want to split that profit with you 50, 50 or 60, mm-hmm. 40 or whatever. Yeah. You know, a percentage of something is better than nothing. Plus you're honing your craft, you're expanding your networks and you're, you're, you're connecting to people who can fund you and building a reputation. Yes. So I started out as a professional deal finder. The difference is I, you know, in San Antonio, Texas in 1996, you could go to the lesser parts of town, south side, east side, west side, mm-hmm. and you could pick up a house for eight grand, 10 grand, 12 grand, little 1100 square foot, 1200 square foot, pier and bean built 120 years ago house, okay? for in the teens. Now this doesn't work now. Just like I couldn't buy houses like I used to, I couldn't find houses like I find houses then back then. You know, back then you could get in the classifieds at eight. By 12 o'clock, you'd have a perfectly good house, would work nine ways to Sunday. And uh, if, you, if, you, if you screwed up, you'd get two contracts and you didn't know how you were gonna buy both of them. You know, mm-hmm. you could do it any day of the week. Yeah. Uh, there was no competition. There wasn't a guru on every corner. There was no seminar, HGTV, anything. And yeah. you were out there on a frontier. Yeah. And I recognized quickly that I could find way more houses than I could buy. But I also recognized in 1996, something else that doesn't work, that if you had good credit, you could apply for all the credit cards in the world and they would send you all the credit cards in the world with cash advance maximum, you know, just like it was the only card you ever applied for, you'd get the maximum cash advance limits and everything you could, they offered you'd get. So I applied to all of them and I picked up 50 credit cards 
that all had 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, couple of them $30,000 cash advance limits. And I started buying houses with my credit cards. Here's a you know, $8,000 house. I go to the bank and get 8,000 on my credit card. I go and buy it minus the, whatever the fee was, you know, you know, I mean, 8,000 plus whatever the fee was is what I would owe. I found out if you ordered the check cards for the, the checks for the credit card, then it was $50, no matter what the check was written out for. It was $50 a check, no matter if you wrote it for $1,000 or you wrote it for $10,000. Oh, wow. So I started Why writing checks. Go big. Yeah. <laughs> so then I got 50, I called all those banks and found out that the 40 of them that offered checks in, in a flat fee. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like, here, I, I want to put 10,000 on this card and 10,000 on this card to buy the house. And I want 10,000 on this card for the rehab. It was 0% interest, okay, for six months or, or eight months or 12 months or some of them 18 months. And I wasn't going to have the house for 60 days or yeah. even 30 days sometimes or yeah. even a day sometimes, you know, but I needed to own it and I needed to slow down, get the maximum thing in you get the maximum buyer to commit and that's yep. what the time is to find the max i could have sold yep. them the day i bought them for anything but i wanted to get the max so i needed to, i needed to own them and here's the coolest thing when they when they paid me for the house i got all the money because there was no lien on the house because i bought it with credit card debt unsecured debt one thing i did smart though was well i say smart i'm a very simple man and I didn't want, it scared the hell out of me to get everything confused. So if I, if I spent $1 off a credit card for a house, then that card got used for no other house and it got taped in the folder of the house file. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, so that like maybe I needed uh, 10,000 off these three cards, but then I needed a $500 rehab and I didn't, so I get 500 off this card, even though it had a $10,000 cash advance limit, I put it in there and I, I wouldn't commingle the cards with anything. Yeah, so yeah. when I finally got the sold the house and I got the money, I could call and say, look, open up the file for one, two, three Main Street, call and get all the payoffs. Mm -hmm. Tell me how much they total. Write a check to every one of them. Put them in the mail, certified, signed for receipt, because these bastards will hold your check till you cross over the six-month limit or until you, you're late, and then they want to charge you 25%. Mm -hmm. So they'll hold your checks. If yeah. you're a day or two from being late, they'll hold it for two or three days because they did it to me. So you got to sign. And then whatever's left over, I mean, I can do the math. I'll figure out what's left over. That's my profit. Mm. And that's how it went for my first hundred houses. By wow. the time I did a hundred houses that way, banks were calling me. Mm. Wow. That's good. So Mitch, uh, so I want to make sure that this is also like practical. Like I want, I want the, our listeners to like take action and know kind of like what, what's the direction. I think you have an amazing, uh, you know, life experience and stuff like that behind you. But and so my question to you now is kind of like, what is the advice you would give? So if you have listeners that have, they know their freedom number, right? They know how much they need to live uh, every month. And I, I use the same in my book as well. So I have kind of like a expense number that you need to live on. So what is the advice you would give at the beginning? Let me, bring, let me bring that conversation in today. Because okay. some of those things don't work now, but yeah. there's parts that do. So, you know, let's say you want, you're buying a house for $100,000 and it's a $50,000 rehab, and it's going to be worth two fifty. dollars mm -hmm. Okay? 
I'm just using hypothetical numbers here. No. Follow the theory, not, not the numbers, follow the theory. You know, you could put the $50,000 rehab on your own credit card at 0%, no payments due for eight months. And now you only need to go to a, a private lender for a hundred grand that you're going to put 50 grand of your own money into that's going to be worth 250. How hard is it to find that guy? It's mm -hmm. not. You just made it a no brainer because you took $50,000 out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you're doing it with an interest-free credit card. So there's still a place for these credit cards. You know, you might, you might want to buy a house for 150. It costs 150 and it's worth 200. And you know where you can sell it tomorrow and make 50 grand. The problem is you got to buy it in two or three days. Go ahead and put 50 grand on your two or three credit cards and just go ask somebody for a hundred. Make mm -hmm. it easy for them to commit. Make it like stupid mm -hmm. for them to commit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You still got the you might have to pay 3% today on that credit card, but hell, 3% on 50 grand. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Yeah. And sometimes the money is other places as well. So sometimes it's, uh, you know, if you have equity in your house, you can have a HELOC, you can have things like that. But I think also your point too, that's very important is having investors, having a network of people that can bring money to the table. And you never have enough of these people. You don't have enough and they're hard to meet sometimes. So mm -hmm. how you got to meet them is you got to create no brainer situations. I got That's a $250,000 right. house. I only want 75,000 in the first lien on it. Mm -hmm. Now you had to pay um, 175 for the house, but you're putting a hundred grand of your own money just to meet the guy that is yeah. a billionaire. Yeah. That's how I'm going to meet him. I'm going to, I'm going to put some of my money in the deal to get his attention, to make it so simple for him that he actually wants to meet with me and have coffee and say, how are you doing that? Or mm -hmm. like, is this really real? I need, so to get their attention, because I only need to do one deal with them and pay them back. And then the next deal is a lot easier. And then after two or three deals, they're like, how many of these can you do, son? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know, a way to make yeah. some money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, yeah, we have, uh, yeah, we have situation like that. But the thing is that, yeah, you always want to, you want to have a deal, you want to find a deal, being able to identify the deal, you want to be able to find the right people and then present that deal to them. Uh, if the deal is, is uh, you, if the if it's a good deal, you're going to be able to find investors uh, that uh, that's going to be they want to be in either as a joint venture or as a private money lender, if you have the opportunity to do that. And you take your no-brainer deals, the ones that are just so lopsided with collateral, and you use those. Don't mm -hmm. go back to your tried and true investors with that one. Go find someone that you want to meet that's very difficult to meet, that you probably don't even really know how to meet them, and get yeah. his secretary and say, look, tell your boss, I got this deal right here. I want to talk to him. I, I'm looking for this money in the first lien get his attention with something that's so you use no-brainer deals to meet new big boys mm -hmm. yeah Talk yeah so that, that's right yeah that's a good point too yeah you always want to basically expand continue to expand that network and stuff so that's uh yeah, I mean, my saying is that it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're always short a couple of millions. So just like you always keep raising money, you always try to find new investors, and uh, it'll never end. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because you always want to do bigger project at one point. You want to do bigger things, and especially if you like real estate, if you really enjoy doing real estate investing, you you'll find yourself 
uh, and some of our listeners will find themselves in a situation where all of a sudden they find an apartment building and they need to raise a million dollars, two million dollars and stuff. So that's too late to build a reputation with those exactly. guys. Exactly. That deal's exactly. not going to be around by the time you find them. Exactly. So that's why you want to start with the smaller deals and build up your reputation, your track record. And then when it's time for the big deals, then you, uh, you're ready. Another reason why you want private money lenders, like I have, like today, the first, no, today's the 30th. Uh, second, second, second. Yep. Uh, yesterday I, um, I wrote checks to my private lenders. I made payments on 26 million bucks. Okay. Um, that's, how much money I have out there over three or 400 properties that they're mm -hmm. uh, uh, collateral only non-recourse loans and they mm -hmm. all stand on their own. You know, here's a house I need 150, stands on its own. You either get paid or you get that house. Here's another house for 200. You either get paid or you get that house. You know, that's, that's how I sleep at night is they're all, they can't take my storages, my whatever, my big investments that I've worked for my whole life to acquire. Those are all over there somewhere and not mm -hmm. touchable by anybody. Now the bank wants to, me to refinance all that seven and eight percent money because they can give me three and a half percent or three point two five, you know, for fifteen years. Yeah, and it's real tempting because when you move from the private lender rate down to the bank rate, it'll create a lot of cash flow. Yeah. Here's the problem. Yeah, I do take some bank money and I have some bank money but I still keep $26 million with the private people at seven or 8% because when the recession hits, the banks are going to close and that's when you need to buy everything at half price. And mm -hmm. if you don't have private money, you're going to miss that whole ship. And that's where mm -hmm. you get rich is in mm -hmm. the recession with yeah. private money because the mm -hmm. private money will continue to loan and these houses that are dropping like rocks, you'll be able to start buying them at the bottom. But if you only, if you don't have any private money, the banks are not going to loan during the recession. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's yeah. either the banks close either causes the recession or it's a result of the recession, but either way, they're closed. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, when they see the market go down, they're going to say, oh, you know, this is that, you know, we don't want to do the deals. I mean, that's what happened in 2008. I mean, they got billions of dollars from the government to, and the government assumed that they would be lending money. Instead, they paid themselves bonus for crashing the entire financial system. Uh, and, uh, but they were not lending any money only to their friends and people that, uh, that, you know, were part of their network. Actually, I'm not part of that. Themselves under a different entity name, you know, they yeah. were, they were, they were continuing to buy the collapsed money with the government, the collapsed products with their money or, or mm -hmm. foreclosing on things. Um, so, so it's real important to keep a balance of private money because in that 2008 recession, about 2010, I snapped, I said, you know what? this is the time to get in. Everything mm -hmm. is like the prices of houses are like from 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go back and I start buying. I was buying a house a day until I scared myself at about 45 houses because <laughs> I had, I had a uh, hundred or so houses mm -hmm. and some of them were, uh, I was having a foreclose on them. So that number was going from, 10 foreclosures to 15 foreclosures to, to 20 foreclosures. It eventually got up to um, 
30 foreclosures, but I didn't know when it was going to stop. And then I'm over here buying a house a day for 45 days. I look up and I got 75 like vacant houses and I'm thinking, okay, maybe I should stop. I don't want to stop because I still got more private money and there's still deals, but I'm starting to get scared. And then I started seller financing my houses and I sold all those houses in 60 days Wow! with 10% or more down. It was the, it was the biggest boom of my career in the middle of a recession, but it has a lot to do with two things and two things. Primarily I had access to more private money that I could spend and I seller finance my houses. So, because if you're looking for a buyer to go get a new loan to buy your house in a yeah, recession, yeah. you're screwed. Yeah. I was seller financing my houses on 30-year notes at 10% fixed. If you give me 10% or more down, and boom, they couldn't even get a loan for a regular house for regular financing because the banks were closed. Mm-hmm. So they had, if they were going to buy a house, they had to buy a house from someone like me. Yep. So, so how did you manage to get all these deals on the? Uh under your umbrella like how were you able to find these deals and then the, get the pml money uh the ready and all of that i mean that's that's a pretty uh did you have a big team working with you to kind of like put these deals together and buy them or you did that yourself or well let's get one thing straight from the beginning you don't have to do 100 houses you don't have to be like me or want to be like me or be bigger and believe me there's people bigger than me there's always a bigger faster gun down the street so right. i'm not sticking my chest out saying because i know like in a mile radius of me there's someone that can wipe their backside with my financial you know i i know that but there's also a lot of people that would like to be where i'm at and you're, you're not competing with anybody you're competing with yourself how do i do better next year than i did last year how do i improve my my sales every month or my acquisitions every month till I get to a point that I want. You know, if a person just buys five or six houses and flips them a year, probably change their whole life. Yeah. You know, even two, two houses mm-hmm. a year probably mm-hmm. change your whole life, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing it on the side. Yeah. Um, so, but, but to buy a hundred houses a year, I have four acquisition people. They work only for me. They wake up every day. They're, We, you know, there's all these different strategies to find houses. Yeah. And between these four guys, we're working a lot of them. This guy has this strategy and this strategy. This guy has this strategy and this strategy. You know, the other two have their two strategies. Plus, everybody's working the tax delinquents. You get all the people uh, in these zip codes. You get all the people in these. You know what I mean? So, so we're not competing against ourselves for these houses. Yeah. yeah. And then we just collectively figure out what's working. And when we find something that's works, we, 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 we tell the other three guys and then and make sure we have the town divided up. And then we, we ramp it, we ramp it mm-hmm. up, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we use all kinds of stuff to, to, to buy houses, you know, same thing with selling houses, um, selling houses. Before COVID, I averaged nine days on the market. After, during and after COVID, four days on the market it went down it's hard to explain why i'm not exactly sure why i mean i have my own theories but they're just edu- common sense guesses for me um uh but i use livecom i use data l-i-v-e-c-o-m-m.com and what happens is i used to put signs 20 signs around my houses and one in the front yard and i'd have 15 houses for sale on any given weekend yeah and i have 15 phone numbers for each one you call any phone number you get a recording 
and the information given in that recording is long as my arm, mm-hmm. the list of information. And the cool thing is, is once I fill out that information sheet and I read it into a recorder myself, it's right. And it's right every single time. It's mm-hmm. exactly right. And, and, it ans- and that recording answers at six in the morning on Sunday and it answers at 1230 at night on Friday when the drunk yeah. guy calls. And, but I capture their cell phone numbers. Yeah. And so that's the important thing. And then I can text these people for two cents a piece. So these people are calling because they need an owner financed home. Yep. And they're kind of like raising them hands and exposing themselves. And now I have their phone number and I can text my dead on targeted person out of this 2 million people in this town. I got 10,000 people that will not go away because they're looking for an owner finance house. I can even mm-hmm. send text messages to them. And I do about once every six months. If you're no longer interested in a seller finance house, reply with stop and get the hell off my list. No, I got 10,000 yeah. people will not go. Yeah, yeah. So this is why I have four days. And my down payment averages has gone up from 10%, which was a minimum, to 15% because I now have people competing for my house and they think bigger down payments will get my attention. Mm -hmm. So uh, I use that in a free Facebook business page to, to put pictures of my house and to train my buyers what they need to do to buy a house from me. I need check stubs. I need, uh, I need a $2,000 non-refundable check that'll go towards your down payment. Unless you're denied, it's non-refundable. If you're denied, it's refundable. Mm -hmm. And they show up, look at the house and we go, they say, this is the house we want. They reach in their pocket and they hand us the check. You know, who do we make this check out to? They already have it filled out. Yeah. They already know. So we're driving people from the collection of numbers. We don't even put signs in our yards anymore. Mm-hmm. What we learned is when you have 3,000 people in your text distribution, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't need any more people. You just text them, you know, because you have, yeah, you've basically have identified flagged them as people that are looking for owner, owner financing uh, properties and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. So that's- but we don't use any signs anymore because mm-hmm. we also send texts to them saying, if you want to keep up with all, if you want to see all of our inventory, go to our Facebook page, make sure you follow us Mm -hmm. so that you get notified when we post a new house for sale. Yeah. And all of a sudden I have 8,000 people over there. I don't even need signs in my yard. Yeah. 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 Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Because yeah, with the text, text, everybody's on on their phone now. So if you have their cell phone number, I mean, you just, I mean, you basically can tell them right away that this house is going to become available. Here's the open house or whatnot this Saturday. Go yeah. to the link or go to my yeah. Facebook page. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, um, you're not spending hardly any money on advertising. Yeah. Like yeah. zero. Mm-hmm. Um, we found as soon as the, the, the followings or the numbers got up to 3,000, we were selling our houses in days. Mm-hmm. When we got up to six and seven and 8,000, we were not only selling them in less days, but we were getting bigger commitments or better people. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is one of, one of your biggest strategies is to do these owners, owner, uh, owner finance uh, or seller finance uh, deals, right? For single family home, because you, you noticed that there was a big, there was a big demand for that. And then that the banks were really not lending to some, some individuals because, you know, they didn't have the right credit score. They didn't have, uh, you know, but they were good people still. And they, they should have a house, right? You know, you know, about 40% of the people can't qualify for a loan before COVID. Mm-hmm. Now another, yeah. of, the, of that 60%, another 
another 30% of that 60 after COVID can't qualify anymore. So yeah. there's a huge market for seller financing. I wrote yeah. the book. I've written, I've written uh, four or five books. They're all under the My Life in a Thousand Houses series. And yeah. one of the third book, number three, was My Life in a Thousand Houses, The Art of Owner Financing, which is how I buy houses with OPM or other people's money and, yeah. and sell my houses on 30-year fixed notes at 10% and make a fortune because I don't have any money in the houses. Mm -hmm. My private lenders, 100%. So when I get a fifteen dollars or $20,000 down payment, it goes in my pocket. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I'm selling the houses for about 100% over what I have in them. So if I buy a house for 50, I'm owner finance it for 100. And yeah. there's a formula to it. Not every yeah. house just fits that way. You have to find Exactly. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then but, but, you know, I won't even go into a deal if, it's, if, if I can't sell the house for 35% over what I have in it. So I, I, yeah. I'll, the most I'll pay is 65% of what I can sell it for. I average yeah. about 55%. Yeah. And this is something that's very important. And I think that people, if people are not real estate investors, they might kind of miss that is that when you, before you buy the house, you know what the exit strategy is going to be. And so, I know what it's worth. Exactly. Exactly. And, so you, you have all of that. Thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The reason why I picked seller financing is because, you know, this is, I, I, I have this debate in my book, The Art of Seller Finance. You know, there's being a landlord. And that's the, that's the thing that everyone's taught everybody. And to me, it's yeah. kind of a, they, they've really fabricated a lot of crap over here because they're showing you all the good stuff, but they're not telling you about all the liabilities in this plan. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're trying to sell something or they're yeah. trying to sell the idea of the course or whatever over here. So I, I, I compare them when, when the rent comes in, if the rent comes in for three or four months, I don't even know if I can spend it because mm -hmm. if the air conditioner breaks, it could be 3,500 bucks. And I don't know whose money this is mine or the air conditioner man. But when the mortgage payment comes in for my seller financed home and they, and I collect even just $500 for the month profit, I can go spend that 500 because if the air conditioner breaks, it's not my month. It's not my house. Yeah. It's not my air conditioner. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I take all the time that a landlord spends in property management and all the money that he spends in the maintenance. And I just go find another owner financed house. Mm -hmm. I, you know, yeah. that's so Sounds my, good. I'm a big supporter of seller financing over, over traditional landlording and buy and hold. But it's not to say that either plan is right or wrong. It's what suits you, how you mm -hmm. see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you can see, uh, you know, Mitch has done like multiple businesses. We've only scratched the surface here in our conversation. He wrote a bunch of other books, as you can see. Uh, uh, he also has a podcast, Real Estate Investor uh, Summit podcast. So you want to watch that. And uh, so Mitch, where I'm also obviously going to put a lot of that information, a lot of the links into the show notes, but what's the best place for people to, uh, well, to find you? The only you? thing you got to know is 1000houses.com, 1000houses.com. If you get over there, there's links to my podcast, link, link to my YouTube channel, link to my books. I mean, you can go there and just get sick of Mitch Stevens. I mean, just get so much of Mitch <laughs> Oh, Stevens, no. You just can't even stand the guy anymore. <laughs> here's the thing though. when you get there I'm, i've never been the sharpest pencil in the drawer never i'm not i don't i'm not an academic i'm not what i have is a boatload of common sense and when in an aversion to pain and i'm drawn to pleasure so i take my common sense and i start to figure out how do i keep from getting hurt like i just got hurt yesterday and then you start to figure out how not to get hurt and then you and you also start to learn how to to um, ramp up 
the things that feel good. Mm -hmm. So yep. 27 years in the business, I found a lot of ways to avoid a lot of pain points. Yep. And I found a lot of ways to improve the pleasurable things in my industry. So, yeah. so it's just 27 years. I, I'm not genius at all, but I have been in the same endeavor for 27 years. And if you stay consistent in an endeavor for that long and for, for many, many hours a day where I'm right in the middle of it, you can't help but become very good at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Well, on these words, thank you very much, Mitch. It was a pleasure speaking with you and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.